0: This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Ear Biscuits, I'm Rhett. And I'm Link.
1: Thanks for joining us in another biscuit from the road today. Not from the round table of dim lighting, no. Rhett. Uh, we are, we are at VidCon. And we're actually talking with one of the founders of VidCon, also New York Times best-selling
0: author and one half of the Vlog Brothers, John Green. Now... I was so excited to have this conversation with John, as excited as as I've been to talk to anybody on Ear Biscuits. Not just because he was recently named one of the 100 most influential people in the world In the world, Link, by Time Magazine. Not just because- Not just by you? (laughs) No, he's influential in my life, but top 100 in the world. And this is on Ear Biscuits, Link. This is happening on Ear Biscuits. Not just because of that. Not just because he's been a friend uh, for a long time and we've always looked up to the Vlogbrothers and what he and Hank do on the internet. Not just because he's got a book the Fault in Our Stars that has been on the New York Times bestsellers list for over two years. It's been at number one for over two years. And then he's got a movie that, as of the time we're recording this, it's made over $100 million. Uh, the movie based on his novel that was adapted, The Fault in Our Stars. Well, then why are you excited? I, I, I'm I, i i am just super excited. You know, I, I was because we've had the conversation. We know what we talked well, about. I, and I'm, we want you to be excited about I'm it. I'm excited for him. And I was excited to talk about
1: all of these things that are happening, all the success that he's experiencing and the way that YouTube is such an integral part in him getting there. Um, Just to get back to the fault in our stars, if you don't know much about it, uh, the plot follows two teenagers who fall deeply in love after meeting at a cancer support group. Here's a clip. What's your name?
0: Hazel.
2: And what's your full name?
0: Hazel Grace Lancaster. Why are you looking at me like that?
2: Because you're beautiful.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Let's go watch a movie.
1: What?
0: Hm? Huh? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm free later this week. I mean, now. You could be an axe murderer. There's always that possibility. <laughs> and you might know before the success of The Fault in Our Stars and probably... Uh, even a bigger part of what John is all about is what he does with his brother Hank, the Vlog Brothers. I mean, these guys have been an inspiration to us. They essentially started back in January of 2007 with something they called Brotherhood 2.0, which consisted of daily back and forth vlogs. They communicated with each other through vlogs, they say, we're not going to no have, texting. have no, any texting, but we're going to communicate with each other every single no day f- for a year back and forth.
1: Right, and then if, if they didn't meet the requirement of making their video for that day, they had to undergo a physical punishment that they agreed upon earlier. And they did it for the whole year. After the year was up, they continued... And they changed the frequency of them, and they still do them to this day. Uh, When you watch the videos, they're addressing each other as well as their fan base, the Nerdfighters.
2: Good morning, Hank, it's Sunday, it's Newsday, and the news around here is that my house is a construction zone and most of the electricity is turned off and we don't have any place to sleep, and unrelated to the incredibly expensive home renovation, my basement flooded on Friday, so now I have to take out all the carpet and fixing it is gonna cost a billion dollars, and I'm cranky! And when I get cranky, I put Willie in his tiny elephant costume.
0: And of course, they've gone on to just a crazy amount of success on the internet. They call their fans the nerd fighters and there's a lot of them out there. They have an amazing community. They started a project for awesome. They started the foundation to decrease world suck. They started VidCon. Uh, you know, the, the Green Brothers have done all kinds of things. And then we find in this conversation, we're finding John in a really interesting time where he's experiencing, he's in the midst of experiencing this amazing success with The Fault in Our Stars, but he's also still doing every other thing that he's always done. And so we talked to him about what it's like what to be in the midst of this.
1: Right. I, I love the quote here. Um, I think this is in association with Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people. Uh, actress Shailene Woodley from uh, The Fault in Our Stars is quoted as saying, some say that through his books, John gives a voice to teenagers. I humbly disagree. I think John hears the voices of teenagers. He acknowledges the intelligence and vulnerability that stemmed from those beautiful years when we were, for the first time, discovering the world and ourselves outside of our familiar familial stories, but he doesn't just listen to young adults, he treats every human he meets as their own planet, rather than simply one of his moons. He sees people with curiosity, compassion, grace, and excitement, and he's encouraging a huge community of followers to do the same. What a gift to be alive at the same time as this admirable leader. Wow. And what a gift to have this conversation Whoa, with our was friend eloquent. John, <laughs> yeah. So here it is, Our Ear Biscuit with John Green. Telling me that you're like coming off a marathon, and I don't know, you're not at a finish line. But VidCon is usually the a crazy time of year. But putting in perspective of everything that's been happening to you
2: and your family, yeah, VidCon all feels great, but yeah, it feels downright relaxing. Um, yeah, really? no, I'm I, I'm happy to be here, but but I'm I'm very excited for uh Sunday. We're going on my wife and kids and I are going on vacation, and that'll be really nice. So oh, yeah, nice, yeah, we're just gonna really. Just have some uh downtime as much as we can. Um How old are the kids now? Four and one. That's that's not a vacation. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, well you're right, <laughs> it's not vacation. It's it's but it's um it's just a different kind of stress. Yeah, okay. But a really welcome kind of stress. Yeah, but you're right. It's not it's not properly relaxing. I mean to, mine
0: are ten and five now, and that's just now getting to the point where it could be considered a vacation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you, they you've got both, some time to go i just i am I'm, I'm excited for when they're both potty trained that's gonna be amazing well hopefully one is now Yo, yeah
1: yeah, yeah <laughs> no, he's great he's great well let me ask you how's your shoulder
2: uh, it's better i got a cortisone shot i um i injured my shoulder playing fifa which is very embarrassing um it's what was the diagnosis when you went to the doctor I went to the doctor. I initially lied to the doctor, and I told the doctor that I'd been throwing my kid up in the air because I couldn't bring myself to tell him the truth that I had been playing FIFA. But he you was were like, playing
1: a video game. He was like, and so you, there was. He was you like, threw
2: your fist in the air yeah, in celebration, and I. And I I, I badly injured my right shoulder. And he was like, so you had some resistance when you when you injured it. And I was like, not really. And he was like, but you were <laughs> air, pushing- Air resistance. He <laughs> was like, you're pushing up your kid. And I was like, well, all right, fine. I was playing a video game and <laughs> I raised my arms in triumph and I felt my right arm pop and it really hurt. And the doctor was like, oh, well that's a completely, now I, yeah. y- you need to be honest with me. These details are important. Yeah, it turns out. So anyway, I got a cortisone shot. Um, it, it worked really well and we'll have to kind of work Wait and see on the long-term effects of me throwing my hands in the air ap- while playing FIFA.
1: I mean, because you you're going to think of it every time you score
2: a goal on a FIFA now.
1: Oh yeah, no, like, like subconsciously every, you're going to tense
2: up. I don't celebrate anymore, and I think it's made me a worse player. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you're just kind of just you just sort of just sit in the the afterglow of a goal.
2: Yeah, I just trying to I just try to enjoy it quietly now. Um, <laughs> He's a very pensive FIFA
0: player. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, Forgive me for for reaching for a connection here, but is there some analogy? I'm wondering if there's analogy between all the success of the book and the movie, and just f- it's phenomenal what's happening, and I'm so excited, and it's it's amazing. But is there an associated injury with this celebration? Was this self
2: inflicted? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good analogy. I mean, I definitely I definitely think that. Um, any any kind of dramatic change in your life uh even if it's a really positive change uh, is stressful um like you know moving is is stressful mm-hmm. getting mar- getting married is stressful mm-hmm. having a kid is stressful these are all yeah. wonderful wonderful things like it's some of the best stuff that that can happen to you but it's also kind of overwhelming um and this this experience has been totally overwhelming and at times at times really um really stressful even though it's been also joyful and You know, it's about the best book-to-movie experience you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. Um, To be proud of the movie, to have the movie do well, uh, to have been included in the process. All of that stuff just really doesn't happen to authors very often. So, And you kind of built... You kind of built that in because you weren't jumping at the
1: chance to for it to be adapted into yeah. a movie if it wasn't going to be with certain
2: stipulations, right?
1: Right. You weren't so, just hungry, please make, please make this into a movie.
2: Yeah, and I've, I've been in a position where I had to be hungry before, uh-huh. um, and that does make you a lot less discerning. Uh, and this time I, I wasn't hungry. I didn't really want to see a movie made of of this book initially because it's so personal to me. And I just didn't think they could, anyone could really do a good job. I thought that it would be sort of schlocky. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they really succeeded in staying true to the tone of the book. Now, most of that was luck, but some of it was kind of waiting for the right people to come around.
1: Because you didn't direct the film. You're going to say it's luck.
2: Yeah. Well, it's not my movie. It's Josh's movie. So like, and um, you know, ultimately I didn't pick Josh. I wish I could take credit for that, but the producers of the movie picked Josh. I mean, I, you know, saw his movie and talked to him before he was hired. But, um, yeah, everyone else did a great job. I, I did very little.
0: Now, are you, are you having a good time? Are you enjoying the process?
2: Yeah, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed like going to the premiere so much. And, um, I, we had a, we had a showing in Indianapolis that was just with family and friends and people who've kind of helped us along the way of writing the book and then making the movie. Um, you know, just, whether like by babysitting for our kids or whatever. And that was really special to have, Mm -hmm. you know, 200 people in a room, all of whom you care about, all of whom helped make this possible. And to be able to watch the movie with them was really, really special.
1: But isn't it kind of a challenge when, I mean, so many people in their lives there, they dream of one thing. And I mean, you tell me, but I would assume that there's just been a number of dreams come true for you at this point, like, whoa, Everything is falling into place, but with that experience, is there this? Well, it's it's not as good as I thought it would. Now that I've got these dreams and they've kind of lined up in a row, right? Um, is it not all as cracked up to be? Is it still a grass is greener? Is it? I think that's the question behind. Are you are you enjoying it overall, or is it actually very difficult
2: to enjoy it because? of all the other pressures that are coming on as well. Yeah, I think, well, I think you guys have, you, you're probably sensitive to that because you guys have had some dreams come true. Yeah. Um, and it's always a fun, it, it, it's a bit of a weird experience because you're like, this is what I always dreamt of, which is not quite the same thing as I'm so happy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, 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 it's similar, but it's not quite the same thing. Um, I... A lot of this isn't what I dreamt of for the, for the record. Like I okay. I never, I, I uh, from a, a long, long time ago, starting in maybe like 2008, I I would say to Hank, like, I really do not want to become widely known mm-hmm. because I think that would be, I think it would, wouldn't be fun. Um, I started, you know, you get a glimpse of proper celebrity and you see how it can be destructive and how it can be so disruptive in people's lives, especially their family lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was very wary of that. Uh, that's why we've never done a TV, made a TV deal or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. because you guys can attest to how famous TV will make you.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Especially when you're on that IFC. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No,
2: no, no. That that's in like 20,000 homes now.
0: Oh yeah. yeah buddy. No, Like the population of Arena <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, so, I w I wouldn't categorize it as a setback. It was a great experience, but yeah, it was, I mean, it, sometimes I feel like it was in terms of what I was, what we want to do and what well, we want to accomplish it, and where we are. It's the right. kind of
0: thing that you enjoy. It's like when you go on an incredible trip somewhere that's kind of challenging but exciting and got all, there's all these new experiences. I think it's very difficult for people to enjoy it in the moment, but you enjoy it in the pictures and the,
2: in the memories, right? Right. Absolutely.
0: Have you, have you thought about that actively throughout this process? Like I want to stop and enjoy this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've tried to stop and enjoy it a lot. And I've been lucky that, that things have been so enjoyable, you know, that, that it hasn't been stressful or needlessly stressful, at least like, you know, that I haven't had to go around and pitch a movie I don't like, um, which is what most authors have to do. And that, that's not nearly as fun, but um, yeah, I've really, I have taken time to enjoy it, but I think that I will enjoy the pictures more, you know, like I think inevitably looking back on something, you can look back on it with such unambiguous fondness um, Mm -hmm. because you're not tired anymore. You're not stressed out anymore. You're not thinking about when you have to get up in the morning or the fact that your stomach hurts anymore. You're just um, really enjoying it. So I'm okay with that. I've, I've always been like, I don't know. There's something about being a novelist that makes um, my whole life oriented toward the past a little bit. Like, I like having written a lot more than I like writing, you know? Like, <laughs> I like looking back on, uh, right. on on a writing experience a lot more than I like being in it. So I don't mind enjoying things in retrospect.
0: Right. Now, and, you know... There is this romanticized version of the life of an author, right? Uh, I, I picture you in a cabin somewhere yeah. with no and there's no electricity. You, you're writing like a, a Gandalf t- pipe. on a typewriter by the like a lamp oil. You're smoking a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, you know. I think everybody has this 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 picture. It's like, okay, well, now you've reached that level, right? Okay, you've got this this smashing success. Now we're all going to read the next thing that you write, but. We all know that you, there's a lot of other facets, right? So there's so many other things that you're involved in, and you haven't slowed down any of that stuff. So, is there this temptation now it's just like, oh yeah, I could do that. I could go spend a, a week with a crazy woman somewhere and she might hold me hostage for a while.
2: Right. I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of your understanding of being a novelist comes from misery. Yeah. I was just thinking that even before you said that, I was like I was like, Wow, somebody saw a movie about being a writer. Yeah, right. I am yeah, I do worry about I do I do worry about the cat Kathy Bates coming to my cabin. That's why I don't have a cabin. Yeah, right. It's not worth it, man. Yeah. It's not worth the risk of Kathy Bates showing up. Um no, like I write in a Starbucks. Been yeah, 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 in the yeah. same Starbucks for a long time, um, yeah. I, I I don't know. I want to keep doing all the stuff that we do. I mean i I, I do want to write another novel at some point. I like writing books. I, I like being inside of a story. But um, I really love Crash Course and Vlogbrothers, and um, I love the art assignment. Like that stuff. I'm really passionate about that stuff. And um, and it's right in front of you. There's a fulfillment. Y'all know this. Like there's a fulfillment to doing something that goes up in a week or in a few days, yeah. as opposed to doing something that takes, you know, six months of work and then it's out. And then, you know, then there's always sort of that like postpartum depression of, of mm-hmm. it's out and oh God. Right.
1: And I, I think we experience the fear sometimes of never creating that big thing. So, I mean, we, we look to you as an inspiration to, okay, in the midst of all the things that you're creating and you and Hank are working on that you're, you're, you've written and you, you will continue to write and create that thing that requires the investment. And then it's going to take right a year or years to put it
2: together. Right. I mean, that is, that is a Not challenge. Not procrastinating. Though. Right. Yeah. Like how do you stay disciplined even when you have other work, you know, and when your other work is quite Successful. fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, Successful. Yeah. You're, too, yeah. 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 It's doing well. And like, um, there is that, there is that challenge for me though. They're so separate. Like the passion that I feel for writing is so different than the Than my my like interest in online video. Um, because it's one one part of me that wants to like be in my basement, you know, 12 or 14 hours a day. Um, and then there is another part of me that's really started to like collaboration as Crash Course Mm -hmm. and the other things have grown to involve teams. Um, I really like that. You know, I like working with smart, interesting people who kind of keep me a little bit young and and help me to think think more broadly about stuff uh, than I otherwise would if I was stuck inside my own head. So I'm hopeful that I can find a way to um, kind of chart the middle path, even if it means that there's a little bit less crash course and a little bit and a little bit longer between novels, um, that I can still stay involved in both.
0: Now, I would say that you're probably uh, you, and, you and Hank, some of the least materialistic people that uh, you know I know. But we all know that, I mean, there's been some financial success with what's happened with The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. Have you splurged on anything?
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I bought my dream car a year after The Fault in Our Stars came out on the one-year anniversary, a brand new cyber metallic gray chevy volt um <laughs> <laughs> i'm not kidding
0: yeah oh, i know you're not well, i'm not laughing. <laughs> I laughing
2: i'm sorry i thought I was, that was in my mind is <laughs> five five years of desperately wanting a chevy volt and got rid of our station wagon and got this chevy volt and it's so zero to 20 it's just the fastest car in the world <laughs> um it's all torque it's like driving a super fast uh Golf cart. Uh, golf cart. Yeah, it's like the fastest <laughs> yeah. golf cart in the world. It's great. Um but it goes eighty. It's like a golf cart that goes eighty. It's <laughs> wow. so fun to drive, man. It's all it, it's it handles so great. So yeah, I got it, I got a volt. And then Well,
1: there's a lot of rednecks
2: where we're from that
0: have golf carts and lawnmowers <laughs> that'll go faster than that. Yeah. <laughs> well definitely gas powered though. <laughs> yes, I was nice. gonna say not electric. <laughs> and not definitely electric. louder than a volt. <laughs> yeah. you, you can yeah. hear them coming from three counties <laughs> away. Yeah, uh, so
2: I, I, I we did that. And then, you know, we did um I don't know. We go, we go on nice vacations and stuff, but no, we don't, I mean, you know, Sarah and I don't have any particularly, uh, I mean, we like, we like art and we like books, but we don't have any particularly, um, ambitious, uh, non-philanthropic plans. Right.
1: Has the success of, uh, the book
2: and the movie, uh, created an imbalance in the Vlogbrothers Brothers? So I think a little bit, that's a great question. You guys, you guys, man, it's always good. That's why I like that. That's why I like this podcast. Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. It, it, it hasn't because Hank doesn't care about material success at all. Um, but it has in the sense that there are all these people watching our videos who maybe don't identify as closely with nerdfighteria as we're used to. Um, and so they don't identify as, people who are interested in nerd fighter projects um, and who are, you know, kind of equally interested in both of our work. That's always been the hallmark of the Vlogbrothers channel is that like, there was never any competition. Hank and I never fought. That's pretty rare for um, a two person collaborative. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys have been very lucky and, and Hank and I have been very lucky, but I think a lot of times it gets, it gets weird at some point um, but we were very conscious of that going into the movie. And so I feel like now that the movie is, well, what was the, you, you were conscious of it. Was there a conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had several conversations where we talked about what we were going to do about kind of the influx of fans who maybe aren't nerd fighters. And I think we both felt like some of them will become nerd fighters, which is amazing. And some of them will go on and like other stuff, which is good too. Um, and we've just been trying to stay true to that and to make, you know, to, in this whole process, as far as possible to make videos that are for NerdFighters, mm-hmm. And And um, hopefully we've been doing a pretty good job of that so that the people who are really interested in the community and the project based stuff um, will stay into it.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. You seem to be, the answer seems to be very much focused on the audience and well, but there's a, the psychology of it in, Within your mind, within Hank's mind, you know, I know for, for me and well, I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for Rhett, but there's a thing in a partnership where at least for me, um, there's a question in my mind of, am I contributing enough? Mm. You know, it's, it's not, uh, am I the favorite in enough people's minds? You know, are half the tweets who say so-and-so is my favorite are just, are, are me (laughs) <laughs> you know, as long as it's, cause people will tweet that stuff. Cause you right? count it up, you count it up right, every I'll day, I count it every day. No, but uh, that, okay, uh, am I an, I want to be an equal contributor here. Right. And that's something that goes through my mind. There's a psychology to that, that. Well, this is probably
0: a good time for me to tell you that I'm working on a book about two teenagers that <laughs> have cancer. So <laughs> Good uh, luck with if, that. If that goes well. That then, sounds like a terrible <laughs> yeah. com- commercial idea. <laughs> That'll never work.
2: Um Yeah. No, I guess, I guess for us, we don't really feel that, or I don't feel that way because I'm conscious of what I'm contributing. I'm also extremely conscious of what Hank is contributing. Um, I mean, Hank works tirelessly more than any other person I know. And so I never worry if Hank is, um, I mean, he may worry if I'm pulling my weight. I'm sure he does sometimes, but I certainly never worry if he's pulling his because he just, um, he is absolutely indefatigable when it comes to finding new stuff to do, finding new stuff to share, finding new ways to make educational material. Like he just he has no quit in him. And so mm-hmm. no, I I feel like we contribute very different things and that's been a lot of the strength of it is me knowing what's mine and him knowing mm-hmm. what's his, you know?
0: I think that's a that's definitely a part of the maturation process of a of a duo. Yeah. You know, we're a lot more like brothers than we are friends in a lot of ways, right. having known each other for so long. But yeah. I think a big part, even though the past decade is like specialization between the two of us and you're kind of like, oh yeah, you know, when, when, when Link takes this, it's better when I take this mm-hmm. element of it, the final product ends up being better. I think that's a, that's been a big, right. big thing for yeah, us. Yeah. You gotta
2: learn to, you gotta learn to trust each other. Yeah. Um, even when you don't necessarily agree if it's someone else's, but I'm like, well, that's Hank's thing. So yeah, he's probably leave, right. leave room for their strength. Yeah. His yeah. strength. Right. Exactly. Got it. Yeah.
1: Now, Were you guys, I've read that you guys weren't close
2: as kids. No, we really weren't. I mean, well, we, in the sense that we were the, you know, it was just the two of us. So we were, we were kind of close just because we lived in the same house all the time. Two years, three years apart? Three years apart. And then, but I went to boarding school when he was 11. Um, I was 14 and he was 11. So I didn't know him past childhood. You know, and then we didn't really, we, we, we liked each other a lot. I think we had great admiration for each other and for, I I had a lot of admiration for the work that Hank was doing um, back, you know, after he graduated from school, but I didn't know him well until Vlogbrothers. And now, of course, I know, I mean, I I know him arguably too well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So uh, I want to, I'll get back to Brotherhood 2.0, but just to kind of, you know, when you went off to boarding school and then...
2: From there, wh- what, was, what was life like for you there? I mean, that's... It was great. I mean, I went to this weird, very progressive boarding school in Alabama that was responsibility-oriented. So unless you did something to get your privileges revoked, you had a lot of freedom. Um, and it was co-ed, and it was very open and liberal and everything that you don't picture when you picture rural Alabama. Um, And why did you go there? uh, Well, I was a kind of a terrible student. That was reason one. And then also I had a lot of social problems. um, And my cousins had gone there. A couple of my cousins had gone there. And so I really wanted to, because I thought my cousins were cool. And I also just wanted to start over. I wanted a place where people hadn't known me for, as this like massive nerd, um, you know, for, for my whole life. And Mm -hmm. so this was a chance to start over. Of course, it turns out that you take your nerdiness with you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. So you picked up right where you left off. Yeah, it well, wasn't no, much better.
2: I mean, it was better in the sense that nerdiness was celebrated at Indian Springs. So I, I quickly found a group of friends, and um, and I became you know by the end of school there were only fifty two people in our graduating class. So there mm. wasn't a ton of room for cliques, um, and I really I was lucky to to that was the place where I made my real, first real deep school friendships, you know, I'd had Mm -hmm. two best friends growing up, but they hadn't been in the same grade as as me. So that, that connection of like school to life was just complete because we were never off campus unless we were together. So there was uh, an intimacy to it that I think most people associate with college that I kind of had Mm. in high school.
1: And so that was perfect fodder for a book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of Looking for Alaska comes, my first novel comes from that time, uh, you know, living with a bunch of young people together with sort of minimal adult supervision.
0: Now, were you writing at that time, those ages? Yeah,
2: yeah, I liked to write a lot. I wasn't very good, um, but I wrote for fun as well as um, for school. So I did, writing was really the only, I guess like productive extracurricular activity I had, (laughs) the only thing that I Mm -hmm. did that wasn't bad for me. and I was lucky to be surrounded by really good writers in high school. I had I had good teachers, but I also had um, classmates who were, in, in retrospect, really really great writers. Some of whom went on to be published, like Daniel Alricon, but some of whom didn't. Um, but it was great. It was a great environment to to think about writing because there were so many people reading so much and writing so much and having lots of conversations about it.
0: And why were you guys in Alabama? What, what were your parents doing there?
2: Uh, well, I lived, my parents were still living in Florida at the time. My dad was the okay. state director of the Nature Conservancy down there for a long, long time. And I was, um, yeah, so we, we just moved to, basically moved to, I moved to Alabama and they stayed in Florida.
1: Okay. And then when you went to college, you studied early Islamic history? Yeah. Yeah. So that, was that the name of the major?
2: No, I was a religion major, but my okay. my area of academic interest, I guess, was early Islamic history. So that's what I wrote all my papers about.
1: So what what goes into that? I mean, the, in in terms of the choice, yeah, what was I the mean, motivation?
2: Well, I took one class in... I took an intro to religion class, and I took kind of an intro to Islam class. And it was just really interesting to me that there was this... Um, you know, there was this worldview that a billion people shared that I knew basically nothing about. I mean, this was in the late 1990s, so Islam wasn't really part of the cultural conversation in the United States. And um, so I, I just got, I just became really interested in it, um, and I wanted to learn a lot about it. I wanted to learn especially a lot about kind of the emergence of Islam and how it spread. Um, I'm, I've always been interested in how ideas spread. Uh and we like to imagine really simplistic ways of ideas spreading, um, but it, it's really, really complicated. So we always think that Islam spread by the sword, for instance, with the growth of the Arab empire. But in fact, like it's much more complicated than that. And a lot of times the conversion um, the conversion happened without any kind of uh, war or battle or anything. Um, but the reasons why it happened were, were equally complicated. So I just found that really interesting um, in my thinking about you know how do I have an idea that gets inside of someone else's head, mm. and then how do we have ideas that get inside of millions of people's heads? Um, that was a very early, but kind of modern example of it because it happened in you know like 622 CE. So um, this is what earbiscuits listeners come for. <laughs> well, if- <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of Islamic history.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but the so it sounds like you came at a religion major f- from an academic perspective.
2: What, yeah, but was very also much so. A, a personal faith perspective because you wanted to be a priest too, right? Yeah, there was. I mean, I'm not a Muslim, but, but, um, I'm Episcopalian, but I did, um, I was really interested in, in religion and, uh, my interest in becoming a, an Episcopal priest was not primarily looking back, like about my personal faith. It was about my like interest in theological questions and in questions of meaning and suffering and, and thinking that that would be a good place to have those conversations. Like thinking that that church for me growing up, um, and especially in college, was a place to have those conversations about suffering and about um, hope and um, whether there was any meaning in in human life. And
0: that was Episcopalian. Your are your, yeah. You're I'm still Episcopalian. Yeah.
2: Like growing up with your parents or no, like they a- were uh, they were Methodists. It's all the same though. When it's that like sort of you know lefty lefty Protestant stuff. Got it, um, got it. It's pretty interchangeable. Um, I shouldn't say that as an Episcopalian, <laughs> no. The only, the benefit of being Episcopalian is you get to kneel more. Um, I'm a big fan of kneeling and crossing myself. You can get to do that hardly at all as a Methodist. So that was the number one draw for me. <laughs> well, that sounds like a joke, but there may be some no, truth I'm, to I'm, it. No, I'm, complete, I'm completely <laughs> serious. No, I, no, I, like, really? I, I, like, I like the uh, sort of, I like ritual and I like rituals that um, that pull me back through history, you know, that, that, that connect me to people who lived 1800 years ago or whatever.
0: And I know that, I mean, you've, you've said this a, a number of times in another in interviews, um, uh, how that wanting to become a, a priest, you ended up becoming a student chaplain yeah. in a children's hospital. Yeah. And that was kind of the beginning of the the story of Fault in Our Stars.
2: Yeah. That's where it, that's where I started trying to write it right after I worked at the hospital. I worked there for about six months, um, you know it it was a weird job because i was a student chaplain but when i was on call there were no other chaplains in the hospital so i was the only person that if someone died um if a baby was going to die and needed to be baptized i was the only person there to baptize the baby and um or if uh someone died i i was there with the family when um as they went through that process mm. um but also you know if there was any kind of trauma part of the, a chaplain is always part of the trauma team. So Mm -hmm. the, the chaplain and the social worker usually are stay with the family, um, you know, through the emergency department and the process of, um, getting, um, admitted to the hospital.
1: So what is the experience of being that close to dying children? What kind of
2: impact does that have on your faith? A pretty severe one. (laughs) I mean, I I, I definitely not necessarily positive. I would no, no, no. I mean, you know, I had a lot of I had a lot of ideas about why uh, theologically sound, I think, ideas about why good you know good people have horrible things happen to them, about why suffering exists and why it's unjustly distributed, and all that stuff. The problem that Christians uh, call theodicy, the problem of evil uh, in a a world where God is is good and powerful. but all of my ideas about it w- proved kind of useless you know i mean i could i could i could say that those things were intellectually true i just didn't care um because y- y- you know i was face to face with the randomness arbitrariness of of human existence and the idea that this stuff was happening for a reason seemed very problematic to me um Now that didn't destroy my faith and I still go to church and, um, it's still an important part of my life. It did make me think that I shouldn't be working from inside the church. Like I shouldn't be doing this work from inside the church because I just didn't have the the right kind of DNA for it. You know, also I couldn't do it. Like, I mean, after a good, a good chaplain or or social worker, anyone who works in a children's hospital really has the ability to, to do this incredibly difficult work, this emotionally wrenching work to be fully present, to be fully there for the people who need you, and then to go home and be fully there for your family and for the, for the people in your non-professional life. And I did not have that ability at all. So you know, I kind of learned that about myself, and that's a good thing to know. Um, and I, I, I still really, mm-hmm. I have great, I have great affection for chaplains. Whenever I am in the hospital, I'm always like, bring me the chaplain. <laughs> 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 I want to, t- I want to hang out with whoever, right. whoever's on call tonight. Well, so, I d-
1: mean, Carson Daly couldn't do it either.
0: You know, so you, sh- you
1: shouldn't
2: <laughs> feel too bad.
0: He, well, he, he, wanted he wanted to be, to be a, a priest. priest. Yes.
2: Wow.
0: So. You, you, should, you should Daniel. connect with them, so <laughs> d- did you and do you find satisfactory answers to those questions that you're kind of faced with when you when you see uh children going through that kind of suffering? do you find that in your faith
2: um i do um I do to an extent um i don't I don't as completely and without reservation as many of the people um i know or, and and many of the people I admire both intellectually um, and in the way they go about their lives. I, I just, um, I'm, I'm okay. I guess, I guess for me, like I'm okay living in a world that's arbitrary and random and unfair. Um, I need to know the kind of world I'm living in in order to be happy. Um, yeah. and I need to, uh, I need to try to orient as much of my work toward, uh, injustice or, or and inequality as possible because otherwise, because that's what, that's what makes me feel meaning, you know? And that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true in, in the church. Like the stuff, the stuff that gets me most excited about being a member of my church is about service and, uh, connection more than it's about, um, any kind of evangelism or direct Mm -hmm. evangelism or whatever. Um, and the stuff that, the stuff that gets me going in, in my professional life is about, you know, the project for awesome or building a school in Bangladesh or whatever. Like that right. stuff is a lot more interesting to me than, uh, how many subscribers we have. Right.
0: Well, and that, in that, uh, you know, brings up another thing, which is obviously Hank is involved in all those things and seems very much equally motivated. But as far as I understand, he doesn't share your faith.
2: No, yeah. He's not atheist, at all. Right. Well, I don't know if he'd identify as an atheist, but he wouldn't identify, he'd identify as close. Um, I don't know. I don't, we don't talk about that stuff that much. Mostly because um, our worldviews are turned in the same direction. So like, what we want to do on a daily basis is turned in the same direction. And there's kind of two ways of imagining meaning to life. One way is that like, we as human beings construct it. We make it up as we go along. And another is that we derive it. We derive it from some uh, organizing principle to the universe or some source, uh, scripture, whatever it is. Um, And in the end, I don't know if I care if meaning is constructed or derived as long as like, um, the people I'm working closest with are turned in the same direction. Like the meaning yeah. that they find is similar. Um, so it orients us similarly. And with Hank, I mean, we're pretty much a hundred percent on the same page all the time. Like we never, one thing we never argue about is like purpose. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's good because that's mm. a pretty core argument if you end up having it, you know?
0: <laughs> right.
1: That's that, that's so fascinating. Uh, I, I guess I'd like to go to the Brotherhood 2.0 because that kind of it sounds like that defines your friendship. you know yeah. to, it's what you just said is like a real testimony to the fact that even though you guys may become you have beliefs that are rooted in different places that you're so aligned when it comes to what you guys are accomplishing together as a team it's it it's It's amazing. having not been close as kids. Was the whole Brotherhood thing, was that... Brotherhood
2: 2.0, was that his idea? It was my idea. It was your idea. Yeah, I was a big fan. Well, we were both big friends of, of Zay Frank um, and the show with Zay Frank, and... it's I'm,
1: I, I didn't think that, because the first video was his. Was by Hank, yeah. But then the second vi- video, your first one, the first thing out of your mouth is, I'm not going to be good at this. <laughs> I know. It's, it, I know. It, to me, it I know. seemed like you were saying... Uh, I don't know I'll, if this is a great idea, uh, Hank, right, but right. I, I'll do it. It was my idea. My wife's but, not going to show her face, but
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was your idea. Okay. It was
2: my idea, but I, I have to say that it, if Hank hadn't gotten enthusiastic about it, it never would have happened. Um, so I was like, we should do a collaborative video blog that's like the show, but you only have half as much work because you're talking to each other. And plus, then we could stop textually communicating and start like talking to each other hmm. every day, which we hadn't done really because we only talked over text. So Was Zay's show done at that point? Point? No, it was, it was, it, was it, was, it had three strong. months to go. It had three months to go, but everyone knew it was going to end. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we were kind of thinking about the future and how sad we would be. And yeah, I mean, if Hank, I had the idea, but then if Hank hadn't been like, "Yes, let's do that. Let's here's how, here's where you go get a camera. Here's the camera that you get. Here's how you edit video." Like, I mean, you know, he, I'd never made a video before. I'd never owned a camcorder uh, before, so it was. a- And you didn't believe you could do it. That's the first words out of your mouth. Yeah, no, I thought I'd be terrible. And to be fair, I was. I was terrible for many months. Um, <laughs> I was. Well, you go back and you watch those old videos, and I find them just crushing, crushingly slow.
1: Well, you caught it in that first video, you. You referred to the Endeavor as a documentary.
2: Yeah, I know. That's what it's, I thought it was going to be, too. That's just, how I was imagining it. Right. Yeah, but it is not. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. It's kind of a, it's it's kind of, it, it's a document of our of our lives over many, many years, which is something I'm going to be so grateful to have. And I think, oh, yeah. I, I think that our, you know, my kids will be so grateful, t- I, I hope, um, <laughs> you know, to have, but um, but, you know, almost from the beginning, we saw it as a project with an audience and an audience that we had to engage with. And that doing stuff, even if it was only a couple hundred people, doing stuff with those 200 people was going to be a lot cooler than anything that we could do just with each other. Like just mm-hmm. talking to each other was not going to be as interesting as actively engaging the people watching it.
0: So you, you, uh, I mean, I'm assuming you got some of that the idea of a, of an audience and, or just almost creating a movement with the way that Zay kind of dealt with the, everyone who was involved in all the ideas that he had. Absolutely. So when you started, you had that in mind, like this is a, this is community building.
2: Well, I think maybe for the first two weeks, we didn't think of it that way, but we started to think of it as community building very quickly. Um, I think the first time that we really understood that there was a community around the the videos, we only had maybe 300 regular viewers and I had to be hospitalized because I had this very rare, weird infection behind my eye. It wasn't serious, but like you yeah, had to get IV antibiotics. And to cheer me up, the uh, Hank asked people to put something on their heads because that had become an inside joke somehow. And um, we had like 300 viewers and we got like 240 pictures. Hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's a pretty good percentage right? Can you imagine a conversion rate? like that today. I mean, it's just unimaginable. So it was a different time, a different world, but yeah, it was, that's when we realized, oh my gosh, like we should probably do something other than just have people put stuff on their heads.
1: And and because of that, your eye got fixed.
2: Yeah, it did work. (laughs) Look at, look at me now. (laughs) Still two eyes.
0: Pretty awesome. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I could definitely say that um, when we decided that, oh, we need to, we need to name our community. We need to, we need to do this. It was definitely looking at you guys and thinking, Oh, look what they've done here. They've created they're not creating content only they're they're building a movement and they're they're accomplishing so many things and they and they see the potential in that community. I mean what was that process like obviously you just kind of revealed that first initial realization of how they could be motivated to do something. but when did you start thinking about this is a strategic community? I mean, here we are at VidCon. Right, It's kind of seeing the culmination of that. But, you know, what's that process like?
2: I think, um, you know, we never we never wanted to think of the community um, just as like a launching pad for other ideas. Like we wanted it to live, to have its own life and to have its own meaning. Um, but, you know, I think VidCon was really the first thing that emerged out of Nerdfighteria that became much different from Nerdfighteria and much mm-hmm. larger. And, you know, it really, it came of a of Hank's, Feeling that we needed a conference and that he knew a lot of people who made YouTube videos, and so he should just do the conference. And I thought that was a terrible idea. I thought it would make people who made YouTube videos hate us, and that if the conference was bad, it would be the end of our careers. Also, it was very expensive, so we essentially like had our houses against the conference. I just I thought it was a bad idea, but I did know by then that I have to trust Hank when he has an idea. Um, If he sticks with it for more than like six hours, it's usually something that he's going to do, whether I like it or not. So I better, uh, I better get behind him. Um, and then of course, you know, VidCon turned out to be amazing. And then from there we, we did start to launch channels, um, that are kind of outgrowths of nerd, nerdfighteria, but are separate from it, like crash course or scishow or the art assignment. Um, and we've done that. I, I, I still think of that as an extension, a way of kind of like building small groups within a big group. Um, because it's really problematic when a, community becomes so large that it's unwieldy um Mm -hmm. that people it's hard for people to think of themselves um as you know as as nerd fighters if what's a nerd fighter if everyone's a nerd fighter yeah um and so we want there to be communities within the community whether it's the minecraft server or the people who like to watch me play fifa or the Mm -hmm. people um who are passionate about the art assignment whatever it is like that's really important i think to the future to like making it it work making it sustainable so that people are still still feel involved enough to want to be want to do stuff with us
0: well you know, I, th- I think about the fact that it goes, it goes back to the question that we asked earlier was does the success of the book and the movie is it upsetting the balance of the vlog brothers but it also potentially creates this sense that your community is built on so many different things that you guys have done over time, and then to have something that is this landmark achievement in a real traditional sense, almost. uh, Have you thought about how that might threaten the community?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been a big concern for us is how do we sort of like, you know, kind of build a seawall against the rising tide of the fault in our stars um, Uh so that it doesn't become uh, a moment that we all look back on and say like, oh, it was all magical until then. Um, And... uh, you know, my our main strategy for that, like the first video I made after um after the Fault in Our Stars came out was devoted almost entirely to the book that we're reading this summer for the Nerdfighter Book Club about um living in a slum in Mumbai. Um and I just was basically, I I, I did that partly as a way of saying, like, okay, well now back to normal. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like now now back to talking about stuff mm-hmm. that we care about with people we care about and um and you know, like it, it, it being being a fan of the Vlog Brothers means a lot of this, you know, for better or whether. <laughs> I hope you like this, but this is what it is. Right. Um, instead of trying to orient ourselves to the most possible viewers, I think that, the, in, in that in that respect, we've taken inspiration from you guys because you were very conscious about choos-, kind of choosing community over virality at some point, um, and and using virality as a way to build community instead of using community as a way to build virality. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, I I thought that was really smart. And it also like, it it also made me like more of a fan, if that makes sense. Like it Mm -hmm. made me more interested in your work. Um, instead of it just being like, Oh, I know I can go there to see a funny video. It was like, Oh, I like those people.
1: They can hang out. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know with Good mythical morning that it would become what it has, but um, we're very glad because we it's based on our friendship and it's based mm-hmm. on who, you know who what we want to talk about and right. letting people in in that conversation. You know, uh, the us that is not just the two of you guys but is your entire community is something that we we constantly kind of check against to kind of see okay, what is our us? Is it just the two of us or is it also. Uh, our fans, the mythical beast kind of a thing.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what was a milestone early on that kind of bumped up Vlogbrothers from, I mean, you knew pretty early on you had an audience. Yeah, but you it was tiny. It was tiny, but you weren't very early. You were talking to, the, you were, You would always talk to each other. You still do. Yeah. But y- you're not really. You're no, talking yeah, to really, everybody. Yeah. You just have this uh, like innate way to address each other. In the right moments of your vlogs, but then you're talking to everyone. It's uh, it's an interesting um, talent. Yeah,
2: it's a weird balance. When it's I first a started, it's weird thing that
1: no one else really has to do. I know no
2: one else has to say "Good morning, Hank." It's Tuesday. Um, yeah, I've said like I've said "Good morning, Hank." It's Tuesday on something like like 250 consecutive Tuesdays. Um, and when
1: you say Hank. You're, are you are you still thinking Hank? Are you thinking everybody? But I just say Hank. I just
2: call I call them Hank. <laughs> um, you know, I I really I do still think Hank, and I still think that Hank is the first and most important member of my audience. But mm. I'm very conscious that it's not just Hank, and there sure. are lots of times that Hank knows something that I have to tell everyone. So th- in that case, I try not to say Hank. In that case, I try to try to come out of that like yeah. um, idea that it's just an open letter to Hank and be like, hey. Nerdfighters, Hank knows this, but Hank has a concert on Wednesday or whatever, you know. <laughs> what, what was the Philip DeFranco milestone? Um, you know, we had a few milestones. The first one and the first big bump was back in the days of featured YouTube videos. Okay, yeah. Hank had a f- video that was featured about the f- last Harry Potter book coming out. He had, he sang a song about it, and that suddenly we went from 200 subscribers to 7,000 almost overnight. Um, mm and then along the way, there were a lot of other bumps. Uh, there was a huge series of bumps really from Phil, um, where Phil would talk about the vlog brothers, how much you liked the vlog One time, I, I think the first time in a video intro, he referenced us, you know, he, he had that old video intro where he would be, mm-hmm. yeah. And he, he was, was very, very Zay Frank sounding, yes. um, back in 2007 as, as were we. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and he mentioned, uh, the vlog brothers and we got another several thousand subscribers then. Um, but it was, you know, YouTube still, I think, but especially then for us, uh, was really about YouTubers helping YouTubers. There was very little, um, at least in my memory, there was very little of anybody trying to take anyone else's audience and a lot of trying to expand the overall size of the pie. Um, which -hmm. was really, it was, it was a good, uh, yeah, it was a good era in YouTube history. It felt like we were, uh, Hollywood before the studios, the studio system came in, you know, like Hollywood in the, the the teens where we were kind of making up the rules as we went along. And what we were doing was um, accidentally uh, important to the future. You know, uh, like yeah. it, it shaped the future. We just didn't know it at the time. And of course, I think more than anyone, Zay did that. Zay, by inventing the idea that that online video projects could be community oriented and then also by inventing most of the conventions of the vlogging genre. Right. Um, which he had no idea he was doing at the time, of course.
0: <laughs> right. It's amazing. It's amazing how, how uh, like you said, how much Phil sounded like him. <laughs> those are yeah. really So did we. Yeah, I mean, and, almost uh,
2: everyone in 2007 yeah. sounded like Phil. If they right. were vlogging. Yeah. Right. But, and, and he said that. Yeah.
1: Now he also promoted the book. Was that Paper Towns or before? Yeah, it was
2: Paper Towns. Yeah. Paper, he, he promoted Paper Towns when it came out. Um, did you the, know he was going to do that? And what happened? I didn't know he was going to do it, and it was responsible for it being on the bestseller list the second week. I mean, I think the first week that it was on, it was Nerdfighters, and then he kind of got it on for a second week just by talking about it and saying he liked it, Um, and then it held on for a third week, and then it fell off, and I thought that was about as good as book sales would ever be, or Mm -hmm. could ever be. I mean, that was amazing to me, the idea that my book could make the New York Times bestseller list was just... For any period of time yeah right. it was crazy. I mean I could never have imagined that. I certainly never thought about that when I was writing it. I mean never occurred to me that it would be a book with that kind of audience
0: Well, and, and you pointed out in a in you know in a Tumblr post uh, that a lot of people have assumed, oh well this is this was this book was popular at the Fault in Our Stars because of your YouTube career, but you've explained that hey I had three have four books already out there right and they would make it to the the bestsellers list because of necroticia then they would fall off in this and this one. How how many weeks was it at number one? It's still, still there, yeah. At, and how many weeks are we talking now? 130. <laughs> I mean it's insanity. Yeah, no, it's Absolute so weird. insanity, right? So weird. But you
1: say that you kind of outlined the reasons why and it's, you know, it's it's is things beyond. Well, it's actually kind of simple. I'll let you
2: yeah, It is things beyond Nerdfighteria. That said, it never would have happened without Nerdfighteria, right? If I hadn't had this audience, it never would have happened because the, the the initial activation energy never would have been there. I mean, right. we sold 80,000 books in the first week, and that was entirely because of, or at least primarily because of Nerdfighteria. I mean, I'd like to think that I had some people who just like my books, but let's face it, not that many. Um, and you ha- you committed
1: to signing
2: every yeah. pre-sold yeah. copy, which turned out to be... 150,000, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, no. I- yeah. One
1: hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah.
2: that you signed. I did. And I did. did. Did Hank also sign the books? Hank put little Hankerfishes in five percent of them, which okay. was still a huge undertaking. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not, a lot. Of, that's still a lot of books. It's, it was. It was. I th- think. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Sarah did the same she did a Yeti too. Sarah right? did it on a few hundred. Yeah, okay. but you Yeti. went
1: all one hundred and fifty k.
2: I did, and, I did,
1: and so so obviously, <laughs> that's a, a that's n- that's nuts. I don't know how that's possible that you actually did that. I don't believe that you did, but it's did. okay. I There's a stamp it. involved. I There's nope. a machine nope. with a stamp. No
2: stamps. I did it. It took two months. It was really enjoyable. I might do it again just because I found it so relaxing. Like I I'm sure you guys know this. Like our work can be very stressful, and like on some on some level you're never not working. Um, but when I was during those two months I was signing, like people would call and I would be like, I'm sorry, I have to sign 150,000 sheets of paper, <laughs> yeah, so no, I can't. No. <laughs> I, we'll have to talk about this later. It's a different kind of writing, you know? It's just, <laughs> it's just your name. It's just, it's just, oh, just like one thing <laughs> writing. Yeah, like, like, like Jack Nicholson in The <laughs> Shining. It
1: comes really easy. <laughs> but, I mean, the the point is, yes, without Nerdfighteria, it wouldn't have had this huge bump before. Well, before anybody could even read it. Right, right, right. Um,
2: it had that initial energy, but the reason that the book has hung around is... I mean, it's partly that people like it. Uh, it has yeah. very good Goodreads ratings, um, much better than any of my other books. So I think people have responded to it generously. And then I think it's also partly that, uh, you know, this is underappreciated uh, by us on the internet, but the the IRL people worked IRL hard to, mm-hmm. to sell a lot of IRL books. Um, so I think, you know, I had an amazing, amazing and still do amazing sales team around that book. And, and Penguin just believed that they could force it down people's throats and if they force it down enough people's throats that it would catch on by word of mouth and that's what they did i mean it was it it was a great book it is a great book and it's just a
1: confluence of everything working correctly yeah. i think that's what you said at the beginning yeah, about you have the movie get- is and then so now you've cursed <laughs> uh I, I, who knows how many different industries with the expectation you know people in suits and all types of industries
0: are now expecting? Oh, they're throw, oh, they're throwing you around in if you, so many if, rooms. If you've <laughs> got, if you've
1: got, oh, if if you've got a website or a YouTube channel, plus you've got, get get that Defranco guy to mention you three years earlier, and then okay, and what else? And
2: it, you know, it's right. um right. They well, they all in Hollywood. They all think it was because of my Twitter <laughs> because they don't really they don't really know about YouTube in Hollywood, you yeah, know. Right. So they're just like, man, he has a lot of Twitter followers. He must have told them to go to the movie, and they must have gone. Right. And I'm like, yeah, they want to boil it down. (laughs) You're right. It was Twitter.
1: But the the, the inescapable truth is none of it works if it, if it's not good.
2: It has to be good. It also has to be authentic. Like Hmm. it, it, you know, you have to really genuinely want to talk about something and want to connect. You know, it can't just be about a desire to, Oh, like this is a way to get rich. Like it's, it's a, first off, it's a terrible, terrible way to get rich. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just not, if you want to get rich, like go move the big pile of money around and try to make it bigger. Like that's the way to get rich. Like this this has to be about a desire to to genuinely connect with people and to have real conversations that matter to you. Um, And if it's not, then I think it never works.
1: And it's interesting because Mm -hmm. at this
2: point, you know, if I zoned out for
1: a second, which I didn't, and came back to your statement, I wouldn't know if you were talking about, uh, which, you know, the Fault in Our Stars, or the Vlog Brothers, or right. any other, th- any other project, because that, that is the cornerstone of all of it, is the authenticity, and, you know, you're not, you're not just looking to move a big pile of money
2: around. No, 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 you have to want to, you, you have to want to do something. Um, but I think most people do deep down. I think most people, I don't think people really, I think most people want to, to, to do work that matters. Um, and, there's lots and lots of ways of doing that. I mean, and it doesn't, for many people, for most people, it doesn't get to be their profession, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm always, you know, I'm always amazed by, by people who aren't defined by their profession in the way that I am, you know, who just go out and do volunteer work and it's just something that they're very passionate about and they find a lot of fulfillment there. Um, Mm. but you have to, if you're not guided by that, that you know, that desire to make a difference in people's lives and to try, then I think you, you get off path really, really quickly. It's, it's really hard to stay focused on that. But if you get off that path, it goes to all bad places. Well, let
1: me ask then, I think we've pinpointed your passion. What makes you angriest?
2: Oh man. Um, I guess like lack of nuance, lack of nuance in conversations. Um, that, that sort of, um, that, I, that idea that things simply are or simply aren't, um, or, or that, you know, whether it's about history or, or religion or all of the things that, um, that the internet fights about, um... If we're not seeing it nuanced, if we're not if we're not trying to understand another person's narrative, you mean
1: the gray, the gray gray, areas of life.
2: All the gray spaces are really fascinating to me, and I want that Liam Neeson movie. (laughs) It was a good one. Yeah, boy, that's good. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little dark. In the plane, (laughs) you want to talk about being angry? He's very angry. (laughs) Yeah, he's always after somebody. Yeah, Liam Neeson has. He needs to get revenge. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I I do think that. yeah, I think I, for me at least, that's the that's the thing that, that makes me mad is when wait, people wait, don't where acknowledge the gray. do you this? Um, I mean, you see it a lot on the internet. I think when people um, people make sort of bold statements that that um, are easily rebloggable or that or that look, you know are sort of the um, the internet version of a bumper sticker. Um, you can't i don't think you can get to the i don't think you can get to the capital t truth by, via the internet version of a bumper sticker i think you have to have nuanced conversations and complex conversations about complex ideas that 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 are open to the idea that you might be wrong or that you you want to have your thinking further clarified instead of coming into it you know wanting to shout the unassailable truth that you know to be true hmm and um that's a frustration for me on the internet because i want us to i want us to have a really high quality of discourse so like i see that a lot in in youtube comments nerd is incredibly blessed in this respect uh yeah. the comments on our videos are amazing but even on crash course comments it often quickly descends into fighting about the gold standard or whatever
0: right well it's interesting because there is a uh, a large level of irony in the fact that you're a very eloquent guy, you speak eloquently, you write eloquently, your characters speak in ways that most teenagers that I know don't speak, Yeah, and they don't speak in, in any way that is reflective of YouTube comments.
2: <laughs> no, no, y- y- they don't sound y- y- like you know YouTube comments. <laughs> It'd be great to write a novel. <laughs> it's, okay, here's an idea for you guys. Maybe we could work together on this. Write a novel that's just YouTube comments <laughs> you where, know, lo- where you try to construct a narrative, you know? But yeah. like it's it's one person is really mad the we've whole got, time.
0: We've got an idea based on YouTube comments. But we'll, oh, we'll, we'll okay. We'll oh? share we're not gonna it share it with we'll, you. We'll share it when the audio is off. Oh, that's a teaser. But, you know, I thought about that. And that was one of the observations that my wife made as she was reading the book was that she's like the way they speak to each other. It's it's almost like you're calling people to a higher level of discourse. Is that intentional or is that just how you want your characters to come across? Or
2: I mean, I do. I want them to. I, I'm more interested in them sounding like we feel like we sound. Um Yeah. We always feel like we sound pretty smart, you know? Um, but then when you actually diagram the things that we say, it's completely undiagrammable. Like this sentence, I'm sure, is not a sentence in any way. Um, yeah, I hate reading my interviews, you know. Oh yeah. Us. Oh God, when people just they just write down what you said exactly instead what of, and I'm like, make it into a sentence. You know what I meant. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah.
0: I'm a sixth grader in every single interview that we've ever <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah,
2: no, I know. You know? They have to use ellipses all the time uh, to like cut through my sentences. But yeah, I I I do wanna I'm interested. I like I like writing about um people who are really uh openly, enthusiastically engaged and not not terribly embarrassed about it. Um and I think those people it in their best moments like do have uh do have conversations, at least that feel that way. But particularly with the Fault in Our Stars, I was also conscious that I was writing in this genre of the Star-Crossed Lover, and that genre is defined by its sort of purple prose, you know, like the fact that Romeo and Juliet's first 12 lines back and forth to each other, form a sonnet, like people don't talk like that, but it's, it's always been part of the way that we think about, um, uh, kind of cursed romance. So I wanted to, I wanted to use it, but hopefully also undercut it at times, particularly in the second half of the book.
0: Right.
1: Well, I want, well, I wanted to ask, um, just to get back to you and Hank, um, So, are you guys best friends? What I mean, what the whole process over the years since Brotherhood 2.0 and it sounds like beginning your friendship. Yeah. Really, was
2: was that the beginning of your friendship and characterize it now? It was the beginning of our friendship as adults on equal footing for sure. Um, Or at least it was a dramatic change you know where we became really really close yeah i definitely think that i mean i have a i have a best friend in indianapolis who i see every day and who like you know like essentially they they co-parent our kids and we co-parent theirs and who is so that? my friend chris okay um you don't know him okay but he might come to vidcon someday what is it what does he do he works. He owns an interpreting company. He does medical and legal interpreting. It's really cool, actually. He works with we have a huge um, Burmese community in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. A lot of Burmese people have settled in Indianapolis in the last twenty years, and he works with that community to um, make sure that people, you know, when they're in the hospital or whatever, can have uh, can have high quality conversations with their doctors, right? Um, by by providing good interpreters that's difficult anyways I know right yeah even if you can't speak the language I and struggle with it oh, look I lied to my doctor about how I hurt my shoulder <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um but yeah so but Hank and I I mean Hank and I are are best friends and we are well you know you can only have one. Oh, is it have Chris one? or is All it right. Hank um I mean Hank is my brother we are we are super tight brothers. Okay, um, we could not be closer as brothers. Also, I think my wife is probably my best friend. Oh, um, okay, Yeah, I could have
1: really thrown you under the bus. I'm glad you. Uh, yeah, thanks got for out not doing here. that. So, um well, but I did, yeah. but you crawled
2: out. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I. She, you listed her third, but okay. <laughs> I have I have I have seven best friends. Now, um, now that I think of it, yeah. No, Hank and I, Hank and I are just so close that it doesn't seem. I mean, we're like I can't imagine working without him. I can't imagine. I wouldn't be interested in doing things if it weren't for collaborating with Hank. Um, is, the, is
1: the is the nature of your are your conversations do they are they ever like friends or is it because you're business partners too?
2: Yeah, I, know, I mean we with do Rhett and
1: I so much of our conversations are just about our collaborative business endeavors and that defines our friendship. I don't even know if that's a I mean that
2: there's pitfalls associated with that, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's bad. I you know I need shared projects to talk to Hank about because otherwise I don't know what to talk about and not just to him, but to anyone. I don't <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know how to have like a conversation about nothing. Um, and Hank and I, uh, I, I think Hank doesn't, doesn't either. And so this gives us something to talk about. It gives us something to do together. Um, it's like, you know, if I always think it, it could, it could have been model planes, you know, it could have been that I build the model planes and Hank paints them. What, what, what? It, well, Mo- it could have been anything. It but, could have but been. You just, but you said model planes. <laughs> I love. I'm really into the. I'm. I'm fascinated by people who like to devote their lives to model planes or model cars <laughs> or whatever. Like people who really are really passionate and like they yeah, come home from work. Yeah, because they
1: could be as big as this couch.
2: Yeah, I know. And people the pe- come. The people
1: or
0: the planes? Both. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, it, the, the, they come home from. <laughs> there's a linear relationship. Okay. They
2: come home from work or whatever, and they've had a long, hard day at work, and they think, you know, what I would like to do to calm down? I would like to build a model plane now, and I think that's really cool. And yeah, so Hank and I could collaborate on model planes or whatever, but like we need to collaborate on something yeah. in order to stay close.
0: Oh yeah. I, well, there's that, we talked about it uh, a lot. There's when you have a shared goal, it's it, that you're willing to work through things that if, if the if the only goal was just to maintain the friendship at some point, you'd be like, okay, well, this is gets This has gotten frustrating after 30
2: years. Right. Right. You right. know,
0: uh, I mean, it's almost like a marriage yeah. Absolutely. in one yeah. sense, yeah. you know,
2: It absolutely is. I think you need shared projects in a marriage too. Like you need, you need things that orient you. Yeah. That's why why so
0: many people uh, get divorced after the kids leave because it's like, you know, they're that's interesting. You know, we've got this project, which is to get this kid prepared for life. And then they, they leave and it's like, okay, we need model planes now. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, you have to have something uh,
2: there. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take care of the, uh, the relationship as well as the relationship with your kids, which can be challenging because kids, it's easy for kids to kind of take over a marriage. Right. True. So what's the next model plane, if you'll forgive me. <laughs> I'm glad that I introduced that to, to our conversation. Um, y- you know, the, well, the next thing is that we are working with the Gates foundation to expand our, our crash course channel to include this thing, big history, where we, Zoom out. It's really interdisciplinary approach to studying the universe. So mm. you begin um, at the beginning of the universe, and you go through the lives of people. But but by taking a sort of zoomed out look, it's a very different world of history. It includes a lot of science and a lot of astronomy and lots of um, you know lots of lots of time before people, and then even trying to imagine a time after people, what that's going to look like, what what the future looks like, and that's really cool. And then we're we're also I'm going, um, uh, I don't think I can say where I'm going and who I'm going with. I'm going on a trip uh, (laughs) far away with someone I really admire, um, and I'm really looking forward to that as an extension of our work on uh, global health and and poverty. And and will we expect, like, what on the backside of this? Yeah, so on the the backside of that, videos, and then also a a discussion of um, what works in... Uh, when it comes to making life, uh, making, making it so that kids have healthier lives, um, in the developing world. Okay. So it's, yeah, o- so there'll it's be a, Oprah. Cam- a campaign as well as, uh, yeah, Oprah. It is Oprah. Okay. I'll be, I'll, I'll be going, I'll be traveling with Oprah, um, on uh, Oprah's plane. Um, okay, so, so it's excited. N- it's n- it's going <laughs> to be not awesome. Oprah. It's not um, Oprah. We
1: now know that. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, it's Stedman.
2: <laughs> That's who it It's Gail. It. It's Gail. I'm
1: going with Gail. <laughs> Oh. I mean, you've already, uh, see, I'm going to continue to engage. You, you've already mentioned Gates, so maybe it's Bill Gates himself. Um, oh, I,
2: I, it's, it, it's, it's not anyone as cool as Bill Gates, <laughs> but it's someone really cool. Oh, and that person is listening and their feelings are hurt right now. I'm sorry, person. <laughs> oh, see. But I think we both know you're not as cool as Bill Gates. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: for a second, uh. I thought you said, I'm sorry, Percy. And I
0: was like, ah. It's Percy. I now <laughs> know who it is. The guy that's uh, saying Stand By Me. Percy Jackson Percy from Sle- the Percy Rick Riordan Sle- books? Percy Sledge, I think. Percy is.
2: Sledge. Percy Sledge. It's Percy Sledge. Wow. He's a big
0: philanthropist.
2: That's why That's why there needs to be two of you. <laughs> One to remember half of the joke and the other to remember yeah, the other well, half. There's a lot of that that happens.
0: Well, you know, Uh, Unfortunately, because we're at VidCon, we can't have you sign the round table of dim lighting, but you could write on this, you could write on this table in the presidential suite
2: (laughs) (laughs) in silver Sharpie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm signing it with my mind though. (laughs) I just signed it it. it. with my mind.
0: And then next time you're in the Burbank area, you've got to come in and, 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 and sign it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. Thanks, man.
2: Thank you guys so much, and I have to say, uh, also thanks for making stuff that I can be a fan of. low these many years, it's been great to watch uh, to watch you guys make so much fascinating stuff, and I, th- I really think you're just at the beginning. So, here's to many more years. Yeah, T- thank together. You.
1: Thank you. We yeah. we're honored by that, sir. All right, take care, guys. And there you have it, our Ear Biscuit with the one and only John
0: Green. You know, uh, it's just confirmation talking to him in the midst of all this. It's just confirmation of how great a guy he is and how down to earth he is and how- uh, Well, he's obviously smart He's very smart. I think me and you together, Is we're about as smart as John Green. Like if you combine us, and that's why we that's didn't let, was a, It was an, an equal conversation. No,
1: that's why we didn't like Hank be there. <laughs> oh, exactly. It was like we're going to interview Hank. We're not separately at a not later the date. the Vlog
0: Brothers at the same time. We definitely, did, yeah, we we're not we, that stupid. Yeah, or we don't. We don't want to look that stupid. <laughs> but you know, you know it's just—it's amazing. Um, I hope you know one of the things that we want Ear Biscuits to be, and hope that it is, is a place where you hear a conversation that has a different tone we we talk about slightly different things and i hope that we just haven't regurgitated and done another typical interview that a lot of people are going to do with with john but i hope that you know i know that what i got was just some insight into the fact that yes the media may see this guy as the author of the fault in our stars and he is very much that but right. hopefully what we've kind of you know revealed is that he's so much more than that, not just as a as a person, but as an artist, as a creator, uh, as a person who is uh, just such a voice in so many ways to our generation, really, and he sees himself in that way, and it's refreshing. He hasn't just checked out because he's had a huge success.
1: Well, the fact that it was, I mean, yeah, we're, we're friends, like, acquaintances slash friends, but we sent an email about being on Air Biscuits and he was like, he replied. And he was like, yes, you know? It's like, I appreciated the fact that we were still able to get through to the guy and he graciously accepted our
0: invitation. It was no different. He's sitting no different, sitting right. down with him at this VidCon was no different than sitting down with him at last year's VidCon right. in spite of what he's experienced. And I, I just, I personally appreciate that. And I know I know you probably do listening. It's great when great things happen to great people.
1: Uh, let John know what you think of this Ear Biscuit. Uh, tweet at him, it's at Real John Green. Uh, his first name is actually Real. Uh, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But his middle name is John and his last name is Green. Real John Green on Twitter. Hashtag Ear Biscuits. Let him know what you thought. Also, rate us on iTunes. You know, that's always helpful. Comment on SoundCloud. We appreciate
0: it. Yeah, and keep a lookout for my new book, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, about two people with cancer. Uh, uh, you know what, three people with cancer, screw it I'm going with three people, three teenagers still teenagers? It's a love triangle uh, but they all have cancer and uh, wow. I'm really hoping that it's really gonna do well And You uh,
1: are shameless <laughs> Alright guys, we do this every week as you know, except next week we're taking a one week break from Ear Biscuits, but rest assured the following week we will be back with another biscuit for your ears Thanks for listening